0: Welcome to episode 7 of Looking Up Sheffield, the podcast that has taken you to multi-million pound redevelopments of the city centre and to converted toilets on Blanc Street, now posing as a cafe bar. But what it hasn't done thus far is travelled by kayak with you, dear listener, to the heart of Sheffield's medieval history. Well, let's right that wrong straight away with Simon Ogden, the Castlegate Programme Director, our special guest in episode 7 of Looking Up Sheffield. Take it away. Simon Ogden he's uh, a friend of the uh, the podcast since uh, day one nearly a, a year ago now but it's the first time we've actually got him onto onto the podcast um, and we've um, been joined by Simon today because uh, um, he's uh, commissioned some new behind the scenes footage of uh, um, some of the um, the hidden treasures of Castlegate so before we uh, we go on and talk to Simon perhaps we can just um, hear a little bit of the uh, of the clips for ourselves would that be a good idea Simon yeah roll
1: it.
2: the downstream side of the bridge and what you're looking at here at first it looks like just a tangle of old rubbish and logs and things that have been washed down by the river but actually there's some quite interesting industrial archaeology here because you've got two sluice gates one here and one underneath the uh, the girder there that supplied two different historic water-powered factories this one was for the wicker wheels uh, that were factories that were on the wicker between the wicker and the river, and probably dated from the late uh, 15th or 16th century. And then over here was another sluice that uh, provided water for an 18th century uh, forge called the Wicker Tilt, that was run for many years by the Huntsman family, famous for Benjamin Huntsman, who was the inventor of steel, true steel in Sheffield. And also by Benjamin Blanc, uh, whose name is immortalised in Blanc Street and Blanc Bridge. So tell us about your boat, because not many offices have a boat parked in the middle of it.
3: No, no, the barge, it's looking a little bit dirty and um, unkept at the moment, but she's, uh, she's a 60 foot by 12 foot canal barge, uh, a wide beam, made in Liverpool by Collingwood, and uh, we bought uh, as a completed hull, and then uh, we had new concept boats uh, fit her out in accordance with our designs and specification. And then right at the very end of the project uh, we had a choice of engines and uh, we decided to go to the full electric route which uh, kind of ticks all the, uh, the, the green boxes so there's no diesel on board, there's no fuel on board and it just kind of enhances the experience of the tranquility of using the canal system.
1: And it does
3: have a function for you in the office you use it as an office space yeah yeah sure we've uh, you know we depending obviously covid's not been easy but previous to that we've generally have uh, client meetings on board presentations and then uh, if all goes well clients become friends and then we go on uh, a little cruise down uh, canal partake in uh, a couple of glasses to celebrate hopefully the the deal and that everybody absolutely Loves the experience. Yeah, just being on the waterway is fantastic.
1: So, we were standing in the main uh, foyer, if you like, of the courts. Um, when the courts were in use up to 1995, this area would be thronging with clients and solicitors and uh, police and uh, all the court officials. There was a snack bar here as well. So, this was the kind of heart of uh, the courts, but it is actually part of the original Georgian building as well although it's been much altered so it's difficult to see the the original shape of the building. Behind me is court number one, uh, the entrance to court number one which was one of the courts added in the mid-Victorian era in the 1860s uh, above the cells and uh, also off here you got to all the other courts in the building including the other two Victorian courts and in the 1950s, the, the modern courts, uh, as they were then, uh, off to my to my right. Uh, I believe that this area stays as a, a a public open space or public public space in the building, um, from which the different apartments are accessed. Martin, you probably remember this bit. This was I do. I remember coming here as a young solicitor, um, going into court one, uh, representing clients. Uh, it's um, very interesting to come back today and to just almost see that again mm-hmm. in ways that I recall it from thirty, thirty-five 35 years
0: ago. Wow. I mean, I was so lucky to be um, uh, in the old town hall with you, Simon, for that, uh, that clip just there. Um, yeah. Uh, and you've also been uh, busy in a kayak and also uh, with uh, the chap who uh, sleeps with a, a giant uh, a wheel in his, uh, in his bedroom. At a safe distance, it has to be yeah. said. What's um, yeah. um, it been like going around uh, those uh, buildings and uh, what can the public expect when they look at these videos?
1: Well, um, we're doing a series of um, films of bits of Castlegate that you wouldn't normally see. So it's all really in the aid of reminding people or introducing people to what a rich historical area of Sheffield-Castlegate is. Um, Even though it may suffer from a slightly downbeat reputation. uh, It's got all these hidden spaces and stories um, which um, have been known in Sheffield in the past but probably dropped out of of the memory of the current generation. It's an area that's always fascinated me, as long as I've worked in Sheffield. Um, But at the moment, it's also my job uh, to
0: promote the regeneration of it. So uh, I can
1: uh, do that with uh, an honest
0: passion. And uh, a lot of the time we we talk about Castle Gate for Mary Queen of Scots and Sheffield Castle, but these uh, these films are taking us into some some perhaps lesser known places. I mean, maybe not everyone's heard about the connections with Mary Queen of Scots or uh, mm. the, or the castle, but uh, but these are taking us into some uh, some other strange places. Perhaps you could tell us about uh, where uh, where we're going on these uh, particular tours. Okay, um,
1: well, um, the first one probably chronologically is Ladies Bridge um, because. Um, although some people have heard of the castle, but not aware that, uh, if you'd like, what did the Normans do for us? Um, they built a castle, they built a parish church, which is now the cathedral, um, they built a corn mill, the town mill, uh, and they built a bridge over the River Dom, which is Lady's Bridge. And actually, the, the one that survives in the most intact form is Lady's Bridge. Um, but you have to go underneath the bridge in a kayak to see what the uh, medieval bridge looked like, because um, it's sandwiched, it's a bridge sandwich, um, because it was extended in the 18th century, in the 19th century and the 20th century, as Sheffield got bigger and busier, uh, the the bridge had to get wider. So the medieval bridge, which is a very recognisably pointed arch, gothic bridge, is sandwiched in the middle. Um, So um, I I called on some of my friends from uh, the City Kayak uh, Club, Um, to take us from Nursery Street Park, which is conveniently just 100 meters up the river and uh, is a place where you can put a kayak or a Canadian canoe into the river and paddle down gently um, past the old uh, brewery, um, Whitbread's Brewery and into what is like really a beach underneath uh, Ladies Bridge Um, and in that arch, which is the arch nearest to Rotherham if you like, on Ladies Bridge you can see the medieval Um, uh, ribs of the the stone bridge, which is built in 1485. Uh, That wasn't the earliest bridge. The earliest bridge was probably built in the 12th century, but it's, we think it was probably wood. And so they replaced it with a wooden uh, stone bridge in 1485, Um, and they also put a chapel uh, on there, Chantry Chapel. Um, They were quite a common thing in the Middle Ages. I think it was paid for by the, the Earls of Shrewsbury, um, so there was a there was a monk in there who was paid to pray for the souls of the Shrewsbury family, um, but it was also a place where you could go when you were setting out on the journey uh, and just do a, a little bit of praying, which was a good idea back in the Middle Ages when you were travelling, <laughs> uh, because Wolves probably started around about uh, Savile Street. Um, and. Um, uh, that chapel gave its name to the to the bridge because it was dedicated to the Virgin Mary, Our Lady, um, so it became the Lady's Bridge. Um, and then also, when you're in that arch, you can see a bit of industrial archaeology as well, um, because, um, as everybody knows, probably the most famous weir in Sheffield is the one at Twicker, uh, and the, the Wicker Weir powered two industrial sites, the Wicker Wheels. That were sort of more or less underneath where Sadaka is on the Wicker now. Uh, that was the older one of the two. But then there was a slightly later one that was built in the 18th century, which powered something called the Wicker Tilt. And a tilt was a water-powered hammer, big old hammer like you can see up at Abbeydale. And that was built um, originally for the Huntsman's. Huntsmans were uh, a, f- a family associated with the invention of steel, Benjamin Huntsman. And another character who, uh, whose name will be familiar to people, which is Benjamin Blanc. Uh, Benjamin Blanc was part of a family of scissor makers, uh, and um, I was always intrigued by the name Blanc, because it seems like such a kind of a Yorkshire name. But when you think about it, it's actually French, I think. Blanc. Yeah. Put, put a C on the end rather than a K. Uh, and the Blancs were scissor makers, and we know that Elizabeth I brought Huguenot scissor makers over to work and bring their skills to Tudor Britain. So I think there's a very strong chance that they were Huguenots and came to Sheffield with their scissor making skills. Um, and then um, settled there, built one of the first steam powered grinding holes in Sheffield and, gave them, and Benjamin gave his name to the bridge. And his
0: initials are carved underneath the bridge as well. Ah. That's, that's a, a, a nice little uh, tell. I mean, it, it, it's interesting that that brings us full circle really because the very first podcast that I recorded was at the uh, other end of Blanc Street um, yes, in, uh, in Two Rivers almost a year ago to, to the day yes. actually and uh, yeah. um, I think it's fair to say that the, uh, the Don has been the spiritual home for <laughs> the podcast so far. Most of the, the, um, the episodes I've done haven't strayed too far from the, the River Don in, in some way. How does it feel? You know, I mean obviously you're a man that knows a lot about history and, uh, and, and the history of Ladies Bridge. Is there something really special about getting up close to that part of history?
1: Yes, I, I, I mean I think that um, that's what makes the cities and towns fascinating. It's the layers of history, some of which you have to kind of peel back or kind of um, crawl into uh, slightly um, Ill, less frequented places to appreciate. Um, for instance, if you go down into the basement of um, the, uh, the Henry Bryce stables, which are on the other side of the Ladies Bridge, there's a trapdoor that you have to unbolt. Uh, it's in the old dog's home underneath um, uh, what was the stables in Henry Briars. Um, and you've got another view of Ladies Bridge that's just revealed through this little trapdoor. Um, and things like that, I, I, think, I, I don't think I'm alone in finding those things fascinating.
0: I, I think that's why um, I went for the name Looking Up Sheffield as well, because... It's a city, perhaps, where a lot of the advertising when you arrive at Sheffield Station is, you know, clear off to the peaks, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're only, like, two hours from London. Yeah. But what I wanted to do was to get people to actually appreciate the things that are around them in Sheffield, and yes. perhaps the things that the people don't appreciate on a day-to-day basis. And uh, I think these, uh, these films are a great illustration of that. I mean, I was really lucky to be um, in the Old Town Hall, and being in there, was a bit like being in some sort of twisted role-playing game. You could almost just imagine um, that uh, all of these layers of history were were being brought back into the the current time. Uh, What is it that's so special about the Old Town Hall, do you think?
1: Well, it's kind of... After the castle, it's probably the place where the most kind of history was made um, because it was the centre of power and local government and justice... And crime and punishment for um, nearly 200 years um, from 1808 when it was built. Um, Funny enough, it was never owned by the council, which is quite odd. Uh, it was built by the town trust, who still exists as a charity. They were the kind of predecessors of the council. And when the council was set up, or the corporation, it's called back then, they, uh, they seem to have kind of allowed the council to um, to use it. But um, the council never actually met there, they used to meet in a hotel so i think one of the most interesting things about the old town hall is that um it's uh how do you find a new use for a building it's got such a specific layout and um uh, and and set of internal uh, fittings you know a court room is like a church um there's not much room for anything else to happen other than what was intended to happen in that in that space and so um, to find a new use, you've got to kind of move some of the furniture around a little bit. Um, and how do you do that sensitively and preserving the, the history and the character, um, uh, but making it usable for a completely different use, which in this case, the, uh, the what um, the developers come up with is to turn these courtrooms into a kind of living space um, for probably quite short-term occupation for a special event, I think. Um, And um, I I, I, I really wish him well, because I think he's come up with quite a clever way of doing it. He's understood that the building was built in different stages, and he's going to restore it in those same stages. So he'll restore the bit that was built in the 1860s, the bit that was built in the 1890s, the bit that was built in, in the Georgian period, as separate modules and as I understand it, um, possibly even open the first one of those modules before he works on on the second one, Uh, which given the challenge of restoring a building as big as that and having been empty for so many years, um, seems to me to be quite a a smart choice. Uh, Obviously, we've all got to watch and see if it works, um, but I think it's a smart choice.
0: I I can see it working. I mean, if you look at places like the Mowbray elsewhere in in Sheffield you know that idea of very rustic old buildings being turned into kind of conferencing or you know wedding venues you see that kind of principle in kind of you know, some of the Malmaisons, where, you know, they turn former jails into yeah. hotels. Yeah, which, is, which again
1: is, is proposed for the, the cell block.
0: Yeah, and the idea of a, of a souk as well. Yeah. You know, I think it's really interesting, you know, that he's come up with those ideas, and uh, I think he should be, um, you know, praised widely for doing that. I mean, there, I think there's no doubt from looking at those films, um, and particularly that film of the Old Town Hall, just how much character and kind of poise that particular building has. Um, i mean martin McCurvey from uh, the casgate partnership uh, team mm. was an old, uh, solicitor there yeah. and he uh, he you know is visibly quite you know quite moved i think by being inside that building again yeah um similarly, I spoke to a, a friend of mine who was a a young uh, shorthand typist in nineteen eighty six when he first started uh-huh. and uh, uh, his first day i think at work was uh, uh, he's, went on to the, the Ughill Hill uh, murder trial and uh, and was just so daunted by the experience of being in the old town hall. It's quite a, a daunting building.
1: Oh, was, I think it was definitely uh, designed like that. When you walk up that uh, the, the, the the entrance hall and you go up to courtroom one, as we did, you know, it feels awe-inspiring. It feels like you're entering something quite... Um, um, almost like a, a, a kind of uh, palace, you know, um, I mean, it's, it's, you know, relatively small scale, but the architecture of a courtroom is definitely designed to impress uh, on you the power of the, of the state and the, and the court and the judge. Um, and so, yeah, reinterpreting that as a more domestic and more low key environment is going be quite interesting. But, you know, I, I go back to the Terminal Warehouse, if, you, if you'd gone to an estate agent back in the 1990s and said, we've got this office space and it's got uh, a canal in the middle of it, I don't think they would have said, that sounds like a great place to me to put a business. <laughs> um, you know, but it, it, it's just that fact that it is so distinctive, you know, and I, and I think the, the old town hall is like that. That's what we've got to bear in mind.
0: I mean- Chevel's got this great opportunity, hasn't it? You know mm-hmm. that these buildings are still there; they're still mm-hmm. functional. In the case of the old town hall, there's a, a big amount of regeneration that needs to happen, but yeah. it, but it, you can see the possibility of it of it taking place. Yeah,
1: um, I think the important thing is, or sorry, the the uh, the hopeful thing is that it can be done in stages, um, and therefore, um, you know, sort of, uh, it doesn't require. A huge injection of cash all at one time and I, I've always thought that was the that was the key to, to regeneration to do things in relatively limited phases so that you can change course so that you haven't put all your eggs in one basket so you can actually learn by how the space works what what works with the market and the public um, and there's flexibility to change course
0: I do think that um in the time that I've been in Sheffield you know 11 or 12 years I mean, I used to go to, to Castlegate when I was working at, uh, at Hallam Uni at the uh, the corner of uh, Arundel Gate you know I'd go off to Castlegate on on my lunch hour uh, mm. you know up to the the markets or to post something in the old post office or whatever it was mm. and the the change that I've witnessed more recently you know commune for example the new businesses that are coming on board the fact that you've got the old town hall now suddenly in you know new hands and uh, you know really interesting plan um where do you think um castle gate is going to be in another 10 years what's your kind of hope for that
1: well what i see now is um lots of people with ideas um coming to us and saying we'd like to try our idea in, in castle gate um and that to me is is uh an early sign of, of, of progress, that from being an area that people were desperate to get out of, um, we now have people who, uh, bright people with good ideas, not uh, novel ideas, that want to be in Castlegate and want to be part of uh, remaking that area of town. Uh, and it, it, I'm just really impressed by the number of talented people that, that, that turn up um, in, in my inbox saying... Um, we, we, we'd like to do what we, what we plan to do in, in Castlegate and a lot of them are, you know, really inventive ideas and, and most of it is not about shopping, um, uh, which is probably just as well, um, it's about creating things um, and making things um, and that's I think, the, the future of Castlegate, it's, it's, a, it's gone back to a place where things are made and, and created rather than things are necessarily bought and sold
0: and I think that's a really nice link to how it was historically as well mm. you know the kind of businesses that used to be there you know where, that congregated along the river don mm. back in the olden days and you're ta- talking about wicker Tilt and uh, mm. and and the weir of course as well mm. Mm. um i think it's 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 really interesting to to see what's happening up there at the moment i mean on the horizon as well in the in the very short term um there's the uh, the castle market site mm. and um the uh, the, the opening of the new greater green um, mm. stretch along uh, castle gate the streets as opposed to the yes. area yes. perhaps tell me about about those two things
1: yeah um, greater green is, is a, a project we've been gradually progressing for the last four years um, and it's really trying to um, capitalize on an investment that took place nearly 12 years ago when we took the decision as a council to move the ring road out of the riverside uh, and uh, towards the back of the wicker um, in order to take the traffic out of that space between the canal basin and and the wicker uh, and to reclaim that as part of the city centre. And that left uh, this um, part, the dual carriageway, uh, Exchange Street, Castlegate, Bridge Street, West Bar, Uh, As semi redundant space. And I see that a little bit like um, back at the end of the um, early modern period in Europe, most cities in Europe had walls around them. And uh, when they realized that they weren't going to be invaded anymore, they knocked down their walls and they created boulevards. Um, Boulevard actually comes from a name of a, a defense, it's where the cannonballs were stacked up. But, you know, the boulevards in places like Paris are such a distinctive part of the identity of, of French and Italian cities. And they come from repurposing um, redundant infrastructure. And to me, that's what Greater Green is about. Uh, and Most cities have got ring roads and dual carriageways that we aren't going to need in the future. Um, just as back in the, in the 70s and 80s, we were reclaiming old docks. Uh, and in, in then in the 90s, we were reclaiming old railway lines. In the future, we'll be reclaiming lots of roads, I think. Um, so uh, that's the opportunity we've seized, is to have this one and a half kilometre corridor through an area that's really lacking and was really lacking in green space, turning it back into green space, harnessing it to flood prevention and um, preparing for climate change in that area, because we know, we know the area flooded badly, but also doing something that's beautiful um, and, uh, and actually quite cheap to maintain um, and which transforms the way people see that part of the city and, and brings a bit of joy. Um, so all those things I, I think are now hopefully going to pay off for that part of Castlegate. sad that we're doing it at a time when people are a little bit less keen on going out uh, and about uh, than we would have hoped uh, but you can actually do it quite safely. And that, that's what the festival is about, really. Is saying, why don't you have a walk around Castlegate and see, see what's new down there? And particularly walk along Greater Green and see how this, what was a dual carriageway um, several years ago, and then a rather bleak, empty dual carriageway, um, is now actually such a pleasant uh, and positive place to, to, to see again. And there's people opening little bars uh, and, and cafes and, and so on uh, that are very
0: keen to, to welcome you in. And That's a lovely segue into uh, podcast number eight there, which is uh, going to feature one of the uh, the new um, the new bars that's opened up down in uh, uh, in uh, the uh, the canal area the Victoria Keys, um, alongside a, a river sculptor as well. So uh, so stay tuned for that one. It's also a nice little segue into episode six, uh, which is the uh, most recent podcast, uh, which featured uh, Zach Tudor and. Uh, uh, and also uh, sue france up at uh, green estate talking about uh, the importance of flowers into our collective well-being and how we can move cities forward um, so it's exciting to kind of uh, see that happening in castle gate so you know, the big story I, I guess and we've tried to avoid it a little bit in uh, in this podcast because there's so many other stories to tell about Castlegate, gate is uh, is the castle mm. and uh, you know at the moment you know it, it it was a place where i used to queue for stamps um when it was uh, uh, the uh, uh, kind of the old castle market but uh, uh, but you know it's been flattened a, a long time ago there was an archaeological dig that took place um uh, maybe 2 years ago now yes. um yeah so and uh, uh, i think also university of sheffield has just put out a a book with uh, Wessex archaeology talking about some of the uh, the things that yes, uh, they've uncovered mm-hmm. there um but uh, perhaps you can tell me of your unique insight into uh, that particular piece of work, where we are with the castle and what is likely to happen there now.
1: Well, one of the reasons that we are um, organising the Cascade Festival at the moment is um, as a kind of springboard for um, engaging with the public in talking about the future of the castle site. Um, it's cleared. It's cleared takes about a quarter of the the whole area of Castlegate um, and it's owned by the council uh, and I think everyone agrees that we want it to be an active accessible part of of Castlegate again Um, and um, so following on after the festival there's going to be an opportunity for uh, everyone to have their uh, views uh, expressed on what the future of that site should be and to facilitate that we've worked with uh, the University of Sheffield School of Architecture um, uh, and our own urban designers to come up with three different sort of scenarios of how the site could be redeveloped. Um, one of them is um, quite a kind of uh, dense uh, redevelopment of the site with, with quite tall buildings. One is um, a, a use of the site more for sport and recreation still with some buildings but with more green space and a, a rather lower tech kind of um, uh, interpretation of the castle and then there's an option that combines some of the, uh, both of those uh, in, in a sort of medium setting if you like um, what we want people to do is to look at those different scenarios which they can do either online or hopefully as an exhibition that we'll be staging uh, providing health regulations allow us to do that and just tell us what they like and don't like about each of those options. They don't necessarily have to vote for one of them. Uh, they can say that, that um, they don't like any of them, or they can say, I like this bit of one and this bit of three. Um, it's a little bit how we consulted about the peace gardens uh, um, when we were designing those. Um, but it's, a, it's also a way of sharing with people a lot of the <clears throat> learning that's come out of the archeological investigations, summarised in John Moreland's book, because um, I know that there's a great sort of thirst for finding out more about the history of that site. And that is, of course, it's about the castle and its various stages. It started as a wooden castle, it was stone, it was knocked down, it was rebuilt, then it was knocked down again. But then after that, there were lots of other things that were built on the site, um, which are also part of the history of Sheffield. There was one of the, the first steelworks on the site There was a hotel where they used to have election meetings. There was a bowling green. So all of those things are kind of part of the story. And so, again, the conundrum is, how do we represent all of that uh, in a a way that, that makes the place interesting and significant and tells a story?
0: Simon and his battered bicycle to uh, cycle up Oxford Street in the dark. Um, I'd like to thank him for a thoroughly illuminating chat about Castlegate um, and we'll get him on future podcasts no doubt talking about beer, sanatoriums, music hall or any number of things that uh, that Simon is a professed expert in. Uh, in the meantime you can find all of our latest news and views on Looking Up Sheffield and you'll also be able to see the videos that we've, uh, we've helped to film um in those three venues across um castle in the meantime i'd just like to say thank you to the looking up sheffield team nicola Allerton holidaying and absent in florence kieran flanagan very much bearded and in the town hall and Loz harvey pulling it all together whilst on lockdown in sheffield s6 thank you very much and continue to look up sheffield